Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. I'm joined today by Richie Idden. He's an external transport manager based in Carlisle, and I've met him on a range of Facebook groups. He's been absolutely amazing, and today's episode is an absolute marathon. Nearly two hours of fantastic transport manager-related content. I really hope you enjoy it. I'm joined today by Richie Idden. Is that the right way of pronouncing your surname? Idden? Yeah. Richie Idden. Uh, I've met Richie for the first time in person about two minutes ago um or, or via zoom um but we've spoken many a time over facebook um in the various transport manager groups i think you host the qualified transport managers group which is my preferred group actually out of out of all yeah. of them i'm part of the admin i'm not I'm, i didn't start the group i'm just ah okay you sit in on the admin well, yeah and i think uh, i think it's a good group the qualified they're certainly better than better than someone there that's for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> without mentioning too many names uh, I, ha- I have tried to get him on the podcast by the way shout out to him for those that will listen yeah we want Dimitri Nard on the uh, if that's how you pronounce I don't think name. I don't think he'll come on without his sunglasses yeah no I know right but I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while I keep messaging him and he just ignores me I go yeah. come on come on the podcast tell everyone about you know you can have a good conversation about stuff then what no I don't think I don't think he'll come on Come on. There we go. You laid down. The, that feels like a challenge now. Uh, anyway, I've, I've, I often enjoy. I, I think. I think what I want to lay out early doors is I really respect the responses that Richie gives on a lot of the comments that we get uh, or, or posts that we get in the Facebook groups for uh, transport managers because they're always well measured. They're always very detailed, um, and I think they they tend to be backed up with a lot of experience. So I reached out to you a little while ago, didn't I? And asked if you wanted to come on the podcast to talk about stuff. And in fairness, you didn't ask me. You harassed me. I, I harassed him. And look, I got I got a couple of pages of what we're going to talk about. So I'm 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 pleased that you're true to form, Richie, and giving me a, a detailed uh, explanation of what we're going to be looking did, at. You so, did you did ask for six key areas, so. That's the one, mate. That's the one. So the six key areas we're going to talk about today are newly qualified transport managers. We're then going to talk a bit about discussing how or where uh, external TMs could look for work or would look for work. We're then going to talk about drivers. We're going to talk about walk around checks, gate checks and auditing, uh, five vehicle maintenance, uh, PMIs and MOTs. And six, we're going to be looking at wheel security and tyre management. So I think this may, we'll start now and we'll see where we end up. Uh, but there's going to be there's going to be I think it's going to be quite thorough so I'm looking forward to this Richie Richie just for the benefit of those listening can you give me a bit of a bit of a background on you like sort of what you know how do you come into the game what you've been up to uh, experience that kind of thing so people get to know a bit more about who Richie Eden is yeah I'll I'll skate over it because at the end of the day I'm 52 so there's a few years to get through but Basically, I've been involved in the industry from a young boy. My dad was in the industry, mainly a driver, some, ta- some periods as a TM. Uh, I think my earliest memory is actually driving a Seddon Atkinson tractor unit on Lindale Bypass on the A590, not long after it had opened, in about 1979, 78, somewhere around there. 
And I used to spend all my kids, well, all the school holidays with my dad going away, even started going tramping with him for a week at a time. Basically left school. Well, he said to me, you're not coming into this industry. You can leave school. You've got a head on your shoulders and get a proper job. So I left school, went to Vickers Shipbuilding and Engineering in Barrow in Furness, uh, did an engineering apprenticeship. Sort of like enjoyed it, but didn't because I was just stuck inside. Uh, got redundancy in the early 90s, moved on. built up. So I started my own business doing something totally different, which was like forestry, fencing. Built that business up. I had quite a number of lads working for me and a lot of machinery. Basically, early noughties, got divorced, head screwed up a little bit and thought, I want out of this, sold everything, went into something else, decided no. And then basically had another idea, but it involved passing me HGV class one. So then I got a lot of grief off my dad, basically saying, I told you 20 odd years ago, keep out, but I come back in, but he knew the plan. He knew where I wanted to go. So he said, well, fair enough. And basically did quite a bit of driving, drove for everybody and did everything as much as I could to gain as much experience. Then I did my WAMA tab, which is basically waste management. So I have the COTC level four, so I can actually hold the waste management license for a waste facility. Then did me transport manager and me IOSH. Then started doing a little bit of ETM work, which really I went straight into ETM work, but with my background and my knowledge and how I, ha how I am as a person, I thought I can handle it, but it still was a steep learning curve. And moved, carried on doing that with a little bit of driving. Then I got a group transport manager job for a fleet. And that was over 200 vehicles, about 10 depots, about 120 drivers. And then last January, I resigned, had enough. And then it was my partner and some friends really just pushed me into saying, right, you need to do this full time rather than just doing it part time external, just go into it. So I did. And here I am. And everything okay. seems to be going quite well, actually. I'm quite shocked. Good, good. And what sort of what sort of services do you offer? Are you, are you based in Lancashire? I'm bit, well, I live in Carlisle, so that's North Cumbria, so right on the Scottish border. Oh, okay. Uh, I've got client, well, I've got client in Manchester, so I travel basically two hours from where I am. At the minute, I'm on four licenses as an external TM. I have a couple of restricted licenses I'm on. Yep. Well, not on as such, but under guidance from the traffic commissioner, I have to manage them. And basically, that's it. That's keeping me full time. I have other TMs. I have quite a number of people come to me, like a lot of TMs come to me for advice. And there is two or three that have actually helped with various paperwork and writing letters to the traffic commissioner and different things like that. But uh, I do tend to go or try and go for the operators that are in a mess or have problems. Because I just like the challenge. No, fair enough. How many vehicles? How many vehicles do you look after across your four O licenses? 
off the top of my head, it's about, I think, 18 across the whole lot. And, about... and, and, and some of these are challenges or were challenges when you started? Somewhere. Uh, I've got another one now. He's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I've been informed. I've got a public inquiry to go to. Okay. But we haven't had the official letter yet, so hopefully I have still got a little bit more time to get things nice. in a yeah. bit better order. But I'm not even on the license, so okay. but, uh, I still need to try and help him as much as I can, really. Got you. Do you do any training or anything like that? Do you no. deliver any training? No, just Some, focus on... Like something... People keep saying to me, oh, you should do some training. With your knowledge, you should do training. But I don't think it's my bag. Mm -hmm. I can't say never, but mm -hmm. we may go down that route. But at the minute, I'd rather just stick with the compliance, like the auditing. I've done a few audits, but mm -hmm. I haven't pushed it because of time. I just haven't got the time at the minute. But that's the way, really, I would rather go is more compliance and auditing. Because I am one, I am like a terrier with a bone when I get me get into something, you know what I mean? And everybody says, Auditing, I can tell, auditing, <laughs> auditing will be right up your street and you will be good at it. And I have, I have been through quite a lot of audits, and you learn off every one, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that is really the way I want to go. Yeah. We're just exploring that with flagship at the minute. We're, um, we're going through the ISO 9001 accreditation. Yeah. Um, I've already got my internal auditors qualification and I'm putting a couple of the guys through as well uh, so that we can do earned recognition. I think that's going to be, yeah. I think that's going to be quite an exciting opportunity. Yeah. I think so. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Right then. So let's kick it off then. First thing we're going to talk about is newly qualified transport managers. Uh, talk to me about whether knowledge, effective and continuous management. Um, do you think the TM certificate qualifies you to be a transport manager i think we all know that answer and it doesn't you know what i mean yeah. i did the course and i when i did the course it was 2013 i did the very first of the new course yeah. uh, and i come away from that course and it was a case of what do i do now i had an idea in my head what i did but looking at it from a bigger perspective i just thought i haven't really learned anything i don't know what systems i'm meant to be doing you know what i mean and we see week in week out on every transport manager group yeah. newly qualified coming what do i do now and it is well like you had beverly bell on the other week she basically said the same didn't she and i've had another guy because when you've asked me to do six key areas, I have messaged quite a number of TMs, I know, just to basically ask their opinion, what they thought. So they all come back to me, and a lot of them come back to me with my what I had as an idea, some through other things into the, the equation, and a couple of lads have come back. One's come back, which I won't mention his name, but he's given me some. He sends He's a little bit like me. He does go in-depth with his emails. Like He sent me a little email there. And it's like a page and a half, and that's a little email. <laughs> but there's some things on there I will read out. He's newly, not well, fairly newly qualified. Okay. He's probably a little bit older than me, maybe yeah. a few years older than me. I think he's like semi-retired from his profession. But some of the things he, he, he's pointed out in there, somebody like people will learn from them. You know yeah. what I mean? He's made some valid points, really. 
Nice, nice. And, okay. and then I had another guy who's a trainer. He's on the groups. Uh, I have started to realise now a lot of people, some of the people on these groups, even though the name looks real, it isn't. And you don't actually know until these people contact me and then they say, my name isn't that, you know, my name's this. Oh, really? So, I've, not, I've not had um, that. Oh, come on. I've, I've not had that. Come on, secretive people, tell me your name. Um, Go on, well, reach out no, to me. I'm not, I'm not telling you <laughs> name, but he's actually, he actually does training and he sent me a list as well because he's trying to put together a course, part of a transport manager refresher course, really. So he's yeah. trying to do write the course so it's aimed partly as well at newly qualified. So one of the days, maybe or he can do it as a day course for newly qualified transport managers. So basically that will go through what systems you have to put in place and what really you want to be doing either on a daily basis or a weekly basis if you go to that operator, which is a good idea. I know I've, like a couple of people have mentioned it to me, but I've never heard anything else. And I don't know how far away he is from doing this, but it is something that really either needs doing or the actual exam or the course needs looking at seriously because it is not just it is not fit for purpose yeah oh there we go richie's coming on dropping bombs on us <laughs> well you will you will you will you probably already got that i am i don't i don't do bullshit and i just tell it how it is and if somebody doesn't like it well that's that's their problem to deal with it you know what i mean absolutely mate yeah there's only there's no point sugarcoating it and oh, I, yeah. I i i can't i can't disagree with you either so um i guess the next question is around with the newly qualified tms should um should a should a newly qualified tm be looking to do etm with without any experience uh, and when i say etm for those listening external transport management do you think do you think that they should be going for an internal role before they try and do the self-employed work Ideally, yeah. Like I, yes, like I said before, I jumped straight in. I did the ETM, but I'd done so much previously to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like now I look at what I'm doing now, working for myself, and I looked at the last 35 years since I left school. That's been my apprenticeship for this job, for this role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And for somebody, say, in the 20s to come in, and I don't know what they might have done before, but they're going to find it difficult. Even people in the 40s, depending on what they've done before, they're going to find it extremely difficult. But an ETM role, you are just basically throwing yourself in a lake of sharks, mm -hmm. aren't you? Because as an internal, you have a lot more backup. You've got people around you. You've got help. When you're an ETM, you've got nothing. You're absolutely on your own. Mm -hmm. So it does go on prior experience. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think... Um... I think there's a range of uh, range of other things uh, that that could be uh, relevant to to help support people. Well, um, why were why were you? That's just stinging me. So the guy that emailed me, who's newly qualified, in his I don't even know how old he is. I think I think he could be about sixty. So he's been in various things. He's actually well, he's put here. So he's put about going solo from the start. And he says, the strengths I have come from the past, that includes teaching both in schools and further edu education, of working in quality assurance in heavily regulated sector of the food industry and in partnership with my wife and our youngest daughter running a limited company, again, in the food and hospitality 
hospitality sector. I find I am using knowledge and skill sets I have acquired in all these areas that are essential to my TM role as any transport sector knowledge. Also, I, should, I shouldn't forget all the extracurricular mechanical knowledge acquired working alongside my stepfather when he ran an agricultural business, ma machinery maintenance repair business and a long string of motor vehicles I have owned, repaired and rebuilt over the years. So I, he's got a very good skill set. You know what I mean? Nothing to do with transport, but it fits in ideal with the job role. There's areas, there's areas there which he's got little bits missing, but as long as he can plug them sections that are missing with further training, you know what I mean? He'll be good at his job. And he is just like me, where he likes to be thorough. Absolutely. Okay, what, what sort of, um, where, would, where should people go looking for advice and guidance and training and, and, and bits and pieces if they are fairly newly qualified but want to, you know, sort of uh, gain better experience fast, so to speak, or learn from other people? How would you, how would you recommend them approach that? Well, you've got Facebook groups for starters but you've just got to be wary of which groups you're using and what advice, or really you've got to be able to work out yourself from who's, when you answer it, if you ask a question, you've got to try and work out yourself who is actually giving you the correct answer. You know what I mean? Because the amount of times we'll get a post and then we'll get all sorts of information fired. And sometimes I don't always answer put an answer on every question because I don't know everything. There's a lot I don't know. And I've got specialist areas. I've then got other friends that are specialists in better areas, et cetera. So I might prompt them to give a response, et cetera. So you've got to be very wary with Facebook. But this is where a lot of TMs slip up. They seem to get the, the certificate and then they think, right, we're set to go. We don't need to do nothing else. Some are on the understanding that we don't really need to do a refresher because we're learning every day. Well, you're not, you are, and you, you aren't. You've got to do refresher training. And it's all right. It's no good waiting till five years and doing a two-day refresher. You've got to be constantly trying to improve. So like a newly qualified Backhouse Jones solicitors do a fortnightly webinar free for everybody, for anybody. So I go on them most weeks. And sometimes they're talking about things that and I think, well, I don't really need to listen to this, but there's always something and it might only be one sentence pops up. And I thought, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a good idea. I can use that in a policy or I can use that in a procedure. IRTE, if you haven't got much mechanical knowledge, that's somewhere else you need to be going and see what training courses they've got. But you can't just sit on your laurels thinking, I've got a certificate, I'm a TM, I'm going to crack on because it just does not work like that. And the traffic commission, most traffic commissioners will say now, even I think the TM1 form has now changed. And the TM1 form, it actually asks you, have you had refresher training in the last five years? And you have to tick the box. But I was just re watching a YouTube video last night off Sunday with Nick Denton. And he's on an Indian... TV channel and I was really I was watching that and even he said last night we're expecting transport managers to do that refresher but we're also expecting continuous CPD 
We don't just expect you to come along every now and again and say, I've done that ticket, I'm fine. We want continuous and you've got to do it. You've got to continually invest in this certificate. And that might involve paying out money. If, you know what I mean? You're not going to get anywhere by not paying out money. You've got to invest, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there any other, are there any other sort of courses or anything like that that you recommend? Any, any things that you think is useful? Well, again, I'm not, I'm not selling for Backhouse Jones, but they also do, they do the free webinar. They also do a lot of training sessions. Now they're only an hour, hour and a half, ideal, not too long. Uh, this year, I think I've done one on roller brake testing, which is a very good course. Uh, did two last week on the aftermath of an accident. I'm trying to think what the other was. Can't remember. I've done about six this year with those. And then yeah. I've done a couple of RHA webinars and then the Backhouse Jones ones. But anything, you need to be looking all the time. But like Backhouse Jones is a good one. FT, uh, Logistics UK do training. I don't really do any for Logistics UK because it is expensive. And the RHA, they do it every now and again, certain courses. I haven't done any as yet, but I've been to their web, their seminars. And I think they've got another one next month in Manchester. I'll be going to that one because that's a good opportunity to meet your actual transport manager in your area face-to-face -face so you can actually have a chat with him. Yeah. yeah. Do you mean, tra you mean traffic commissioner? Yeah. yeah. What did I say? Transport manager. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, Sorry, but you, it's it's easy and it easily done when you keep going through. But yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good good opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, one of the things that you've just, I, I guess, the final point around this first area, because you've you've put quite a few notes here around the information that uh, transport managers need to know and the different responsibilities that are involved. You've you've listed things like driving license checks, eyesight checks, fitness to drive um maintenance records how they're managed stored analyzed those kinds of things there, yeah. there, there's a bit too much detail for us to really sort of go into all of that just now but there's a big there's a big chunk there that you've written there around all of the different things and systems and controls that we need to have in place to effectively be a transport manager that isn't covered as part of the exam it isn't covered yeah. as part of the training yeah do you think that the right thing to do is for um there to be like a, a a mentoring process where people go and find people who are doing this and doing it well and they can go and mentor mentor with uh experienced transport managers well there should be the problem is like you do often see posts where people are asking for shadowing which is a good good idea but this is where you've got to try and find somebody who can spare that time to help help you really like I could some few people have said to me why don't you shadow somebody but the problem is is I'm in a little bit of a I wouldn't say I'm in the north of England yeah there's people around me but I travel here there and everywhere and I am like tomorrow I'm out I'm going to see two operators tomorrow staying over in a hotel seeing the second operator again Wednesday morning and then on to another operator Wednesday afternoon. So it is a, a bit of, I'm in there, I do what I'm doing, then I'm off, then I'm another way. So it is just trying to find that person. And this is where really, I think if you want to shadow somebody, it could actually end up costing you money. 
You know what I mean? That person may not charge you much, but they may say, oh, if I'm going to take an extra hour, and this is where you've got to think, well, no, I'm not going to pay that money, but you've got to think, where do I want to go with my bit? Where do I want to go with this, my career? Do I need to invest? And that person is an ideal person to learn off. So am I worth paying that person or offering that person something to, so he slows down and lets me get involved and then I can learn, et cetera, that way. You know what I mean? So yeah, there does need to be something. I just don't know the answer to it. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's something, it's something we've been, we've been toying with here because now we've got, there's, there's four, four transport manager consultants here in, in the business. And we've been, we've launched the fleet geeks podcast recently. We've got Mike who's done his T he does the transport manager CPC training. We've been doing it for logistics UK come and joined us. And then Jamie as well. And we're, we're thinking about, we're looking to launch like a, like a peer to peer group. So you have yeah. where, where people take a bit of time out of their diary and essentially have, you have a group of like maybe eight transport managers of varying levels of experience, but from different sectors. Yeah. And then, and then you sort of pose a question, for example, what policies and procedures do you need to be an effective transport manager during like a three hour session? And yeah. then everyone shares what they do. So you kind of get this picture of best practice across a range of different industries. I think that's going to be quite a powerful thing um, to be able to include people on. And it is going to, to, to put aside that time, it's going to cost a bit of money and a bit of time investment to be able to do that. But I think that's going to be, I think that's quite a powerful thing that's going to um, potentially uh, help people help people yeah. learn particularly if yeah. they're new because it's sort yeah. of a good next step after doing the transport manager cpc yeah um cool cool right so the second one is uh how before, before we jump onto that okay. second one can okay I just, can I just yeah was there anything back? else yeah is there anything well no else i just want to drag you back slightly because i know you said i have put a list of really what you want to be checking yeah what measures you want to put in place etc one thing i want to mention because this is a couple of the tms mentioned this to me Mm -hmm. I basically made a point of it and they said, can you just make a point of it? So driving license checks. Now, what do people do when they do a driving license check? So they go online, they type in the details, it come, pops up, bum print, driving license check. That'll do, let's file it. Next one, file it. Right, now move on to our next job. What have they actually checked? You know what I mean? They've got to sit down and look at that driving license check. Have they actually checked them driver's cards as well? So when that driver's started for them, have, have they physically checked all them cards? Have they photocopied them cards? Are they continuing to check those cards every 12 months? Are they copying them again every 12 months when they do the driving license check? Are they cross-referencing the photocopy of the card they've got to the details they've got on the driving license check? Are they checking all the dates? How far is the driving license? If it is, it going to expire in the next three months? You know what I mean? That's another problem. Whose whose responsibility is it to say your license is expiring? Do you leave it to the driver? Should you be telling them? We know what the answer is. You should be telling them your license is expiring in three months' time. Can you get it sorted, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And too many yes. people just do them, file them, forget them. That's it. There's a lot more investigation goes into this than what people seem to realise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm I'm going to drag back a little bit on that one for people listening as well because 
I know categorically that in about 80 to 90% probably of operators that I go and visit, driving license checks being done incorrectly and 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 a breach and a breach of data protection as well. So um, there's been a recent case, the DVLA, I think it's the DVLA or the DVSA, or possibly the traffic commissioner. I can't remember who who released the details on it, but it's fairly categoric. So a lot of companies will take the driving license number, which they hold as part of their records, the national insurance number, which they hold as part of their records, and then the driver's postcode, which they hold for a lot of their records. And the driver goes, yeah, fine, check my driving license. Yeah. And then off they go and they generate their own driving license check without the driver having checked the code. The issue, the issue with that, and for people listening, don't, don't, don't do it because um particularly if you get into an audit now they're expecting there to be a correct process that's followed the challenge the issue with that i hear people saying well what's the issue with that they've agreed for me to have it is it brings up all of their history and all of their data including any spent convictions as well so there's been a case recently where a driver or a, a driver has applied for a role and and had it cancelled because he had a drink drive conviction that was spent but was yeah. picked up as part of the driving license checking correctly and he um he went to the dvsa i think i got offered a job i got declined the job i've got a spent conviction which is spent um and they only picked up on it because they accessed my data incorrectly yeah so if you follow the correct process you'll only ever see the data you're allowed to see yeah if that makes sense um yeah. so it, I, it's like it's not come up on a podcast before so i've not i've not mentioned it but that's uh that, i think that's going to get quite big that's going to be quite big over the next couple of months uh yeah um there's going to be more people caught out with that because i know there's a lot of operators that do it that way yeah and the other thing with the driving license checks is a lot of people we've had i've had this on facebook on a few times and i've always said driving license check for a vocational driver is every three months and people will come on and say, well, it's only every six months. And this document I've got off the guy that's doing the training or thinking of doing this course, he's got down, I think he had down license checks twice yearly minimum, which to me, that's wrong. And the Nick Denton, well, Nick Denton video I was watching last night on the Indian channel, I can't believe you've done an Indian interview. I need to check that out. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. What was it uh, about? Well, basically, well, it's, I, I'm not going to say the company because you might not want me advertising them as such, but okay. uh, it is a guy, he's on the groups. He has a consultancy business in Birmingham. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. And so he's, he's been sorting it out because he has quite a lot of Indian operators. So he's been actually even sorting out some driver CPC training and transport manager refresher training in Indian as well. And so he's basically, the Indian guy's basically asking him this. He's then translating it into English for Nick Denton, and Nick Denton's then back again. So it's it's a little bit drawn out, but it is. It's 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 repeating things that you've heard before, but... Yeah, I got you. And that, that, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm but, happy to mention it. I think you're talking about Charlie at Invergold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... But Nick Denton said last on when I watched that, he said, driving license checks. He basically said a minimum is three months. He said, really, you could do with doing them more. But practically, if you do them every three months, they're quite happy. If you had a driver that had nine points, 
well, really, yes, you want to be doing the checks every month because you want to be keeping on top of them. But he basically said every three months, and every traffic commissioner I've been in front of has always said they want driving license checks every three months, but these people are still there. No, we only do them twice a year, and it's it's three months. Okay, so I, I so my understanding, and, and that's interesting because it's the first time I've heard it, my understanding is it, it should really be like risk-based and you should follow whatever your policy states. So um, a lot of my policy, my, a lot of my policies will read zero to five points is six monthly. So essentially yeah. they've either got no points or three points yeah. uh, and it's six, within six months and then six points to eight points is three months and anything nine points and over is monthly it's yeah. essentially like a sliding risk-based scale that I've, yeah. I've i've previously used um that's interesting I've, if, they're I've quarterly, if they're saying essentially you're zero to five points are your lowest risk guys aren't they they're, yeah. they're very low risk particularly if you've got a six point allowance on your insurance policy um but you know absolutely and i think you're right about making sure that you're checking thoroughly I, I must say, and I'm not one for promoting different service, lots of different services on the podcast, but I do rate Checkmaster for this. Checkmaster, yeah. I don't know if you've used Checkmaster, no. but you can you can do a risk based process. So you put in the data, and then it's if it it's every three months it checks it. It's all completely data compliant as well, the way it shows you. Um, but also, it does notify you whenever. Mm -hmm every within three months of anyone expiring so you can tell the driver um yeah. it notifies you as soon as anyone has a change because they've got eyesight and this is what you're saying about making sure you're thoroughly yeah. checking licenses so for example where they suddenly have to wear glasses for example you might not realize that if, particularly if you don't check your driving license properly but the app will tell you um and i think it is only something like a quid a check a driver yeah which is when you think about it like that and they only charge you per check on checkmaster so if you've got you know you've got 18 drivers for example 20 drivers you know your cost on that is only like if you're doing it quarterly you're still only looking at 100 what is it 20 times four so 80 quid a year yeah it's not bad i don't think that's a bad service well, no it's not if it was a pound a driver it's not even worth you doing it yourself no. is it you know what i mean Ooh. so I think I think it's worth looking, and and I know RHA have a similar system, and I'm I'm not I don't necessarily prefer any of the software systems, although the RHA and Tackermaster tend to be pretty good, anyway. But it's it gives you a lot of peace of mind when it's set up properly, and it just pings you, you know, the notifications are set up, and it pings it all for you, yeah. Um, and you can set it up risk based. So, but no, you, uh, the the point you made, which is absolutely correct is make sure you're thoroughly checking those licenses, the dates on them. You're checking for codes being added and taken away, aren't you? You're, you're yeah. checking all of those things because you need to make sure you document that you've both checked and had a conversation with the driver if you need to. Yeah. Like I had a driver last week, I did an eyesight check and it's somebody new I've gone to and they're all morning. Why are we having an eyesight check? I said, you'd be having one every three months. And they weren't happy. They filled out a full personal medical declaration. Medical declaration five pages long he said do you want to know everything i said i do you know what i mean and i said it isn't because i'm nosy i said we've got a duty of care we're, we're wanting to we need to look after you and and i said then every three months you're doing a fitness to drive so they're all whinging and then they're doing their eye test and one guy comes does the eye test just with the snelling chart and then he's like i like the snelling chart not a number plate across the yard because i like to look at the driver and see what he's doing and see how he's looking and see what his eyes are doing. 
And this guy's there and he's looking, reading the chart and, I, and I'm thinking, you're not going to get to the green line. And he gets, he gets near enough to the green line with a struggle. I said, are you not meant to wear glasses? And he says, well, no, but he said, I have glasses. And he said, I don't need to wear them. But, and I said, well, you're going to have to wear them. No, and I'm like, I've told the operator, he's going to have to wear glasses. I said, his eyes are just there, but they're only just there. You know what I mean? And plus he has diabetes as well. So I said, you're in a, really, you're in a position where you need to be wearing them glasses every day when you're driving that vehicle. So he wasn't happy, but he has basically agreed and said he would. So nice. Okay, cool. Very good. Very good. Are you happy to move on to number two? Yeah. We're only 35 minutes in. <laughs> well, I did tell you. I did tell you. <laughs> and we haven't even covered all the points that were written down in number one as well. I know. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, number two then. How or where should external transport managers look for work? Uh, should external transport managers use an agency for work? There's a question for you, Richie. I've never, I've never used one, so I've no experience really. I don't feel qualified to be able to, because yeah. I've not, I've not, I've not used one, so I don't know. No. I see, I see them discussed, and I know there is a certain one we've mentioned his name earlier, Dimitri, who does that, does that type of stuff. Um, and I, I, my understanding of it is fairly limited in that. I believe they they take the first couple of months of payment or or something like that as like yeah. a recruitment fee, so to speak. Is that is that am I barking up the right tree? You are. Uh, that's like that is the bit that really gets my back up. Uh, I just feel that these guys they pray. I think they pray on the newly qualified. I think at the end of the day, there's nothing up with an agency if that agency is having nothing to do with payment and they shouldn't have anything to do with payment. The traffic commissioners wouldn't want them to have anything to do with payment. That's down to the TM to sort that out with the operator and come to a, dis like have a dis discuss the rate, come to an agreement, away you go. The operator should pay the agency for finding that TM, but I don't see why the TM has to pay somebody to find some work. You know what I mean? It's just all wrong. And I know there is people out there that don't, I, the client I have on my doorstep, basically, well, he's now gone back to a restricted. I got him off somebody that's well-known, has his own group as well. And he advertised for a TM for this company. And he basically wanted me CV and everything. And then he come back to me, right, I, I want you to do it. Uh, you go to the client, you sort out your rate and everything, and I said, well, basically, I said, do you not want anything? And he said, no, we don't charge any fees. He said, all that we do is, we don't really charge the operator. What we do is we make the operator have an audit. So we give the audit, we do the audit, the operator pays us for that, and you get a copy of the audit. So then you know where you're setting off from, which I already knew where I was setting off from, because I'd gone in, assessed it, and everything anyway, so I already knew. But he said, we don't get involved in payment. And that was it. And that's how it should be. You know what I mean? He doesn't advertise his business as an agency. He just has people go to him and say, can you find me a TM? And that's the sort of thing I will do. If somebody comes to me and says, can you find a TM? Yeah, I'll find you one. And I'll probably go down the same route. I'll find you a TM, but I'll give you an audit. 
and then that audit goes to the new TM and away they go and they just you just keep out of the rates. And this is what it does cause a bit of controversy on the groups whenever somebody mentions agencies, fees, anything like that. So there is a place for them, but I think some of these some of these guys that are doing it need to really get the shit in order. You know what I mean? And I think like the, the guy we keep mentioning, he has no interest in the TM. He couldn't give a damn. All he wants is that position filled. He gets his fee off the operator, takes a couple of months payments off the TM. And I think last year I had four TMs come to me wanting help and all through him where basically they hadn't been paid or there was issues or because they all come and they all say, oh, this, this further assistance will help you. No, they don't. They just basically, there you go, put your name on there. In three months' time, you'll get a payment and just get on with it, crack on, and that's it. And it's all wrong. Yeah, not good, is it? Not good, mate. No. Okay. Um, I think uh, I think I think you're right. I think word of mouth is a really good way of finding new business, isn't yeah. it? Word of mouth and relationships. I I get asked a lot of the time who do I recommend for an ETM there we're, we're like a million miles away really from you uh from a from a geographic point of view over in Peterborough but I know I know a few TM TMs locally um and um I'd say I've probably helped a few of them get because we market I suppose because we market ourselves we we're not too interested in the external TM work whereas we do a lot of the audits we do a lot of the yeah. training and those kinds of things so um we uh, and 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 do a lot of the restricted type stuff, so we tend to get inquiries in and then and then sort of pass it pass it on. And um, it's uh, I don't charge. We don't charge for it. You, you know, if usually it's that people have helped us out at some point, so we just help them out back. It's like yeah. a, a virtuous cycle of helping, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, think, Facebook. Um, Facebook. If you can, if you can write yourself, most of the groups. There's not many. I think most of the groups allow TMs to come on. And put an advert on advertising the services. You know what I mean? Our group, we don't have an issue. Anybody, anything, anybody can advertise on our group as long as it's to do with TM services. If it's selling something or as long as it's to do with TM, if it's anything to do with drivers or vehicles or anything, no, because yeah. it's not a driver group, it's a TM group. But we allow TMs to come on. And that is a very good place to get work. You know what I mean? The last two or three clients I've got, I've got through Facebook and you know what i mean it's a great tool it can be a pain in the backside but it's a great tool and it's free so use it a lot of these guys just don't use it you know what yeah. i mean they want they want things a lot of the time just to come to them and that isn't life doesn't work like that no, you know what i mean if you want something you've got to go and fight for it really and look yeah. for it but you're not, not nothing's going to fall at your footsteps that yeah, you thought your feet i mean so yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I think that's a that's that's a really really valid point. And I think um, the, the, the making sure that we're charging the right money for what we're doing as well. What, what I think my biggest sticking point, my, in in all honesty, my biggest sticking point with what Dimitri does, and I'm happy to tell this to him if he ever came on the podcast. My biggest sticking point isn't actually that he charges the monthly fee; it's that he sets the rates and he agrees yeah. the rates. I, I have more, I take more issue with that than I do necessarily with him because 
that is recruitment agencies that this is how they've always worked right it recruit you know when we when you go to like you know i've got friends who are like exec level higher level and some of the recruitment agencies are taking taking 25 percent of annual fees yeah. uh, or any annual salary for you know guys who are earning 120 grand a year for example and they're taking 25 percent. you know they're getting a they're getting a nice fair old wedge for the recruitment process um and but that's just it is what it is you know yeah recruitment is a tricky thing finding good people is a tricky thing but i think what what i dislike about it is when companies charge 25 percent for an agent uh, on an agency they've done due diligence they've done pre um they've done prelim interviews they've made sure that they're only putting forward two one or two candidates who are the very best quality not just accepting accepting any tom dick or harry to come and apply does that make sense the work's yeah. kind of yeah. gone in for them so that's the, the what they do so I have got a bit of an issue with that, but what I really dislike is uh, no agent should ever dictate what the salary is. No, that's up to the individual and the 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 buyer, the buyer and the and the supplier. They they agree what the salary is, not not anyone else. That's no. I know you've already said that, but that's I, I, I have. Quite and it's like in it's like in this job. We see I know Dimitri's put his rates up slightly. And there is somebody else you see them advertising, and it's three, they're all three fifty plus hundred pound a vehicle, and it just does not work. No. You know what I mean? And I, I've been on some of the groups, and somebody people will say, "Oh, nobody puts the rates up." I haven't got an issue putting my rates up, and like I, I'll sit there and I'll say, "Right, my starting point is five fifty plus hundred and fifty pound a vehicle." But there's not many. There's only two of my operators are actually on that pricing, mm-hmm. and that's it. And you can't do it for any less. Yeah. Not if you're gonna not not if you're gonna do it to like best practice. If you're gonna do it to legal requirement, yeah. Well, yeah, you uh, can maybe do it cheaper. Uh, but the, legal requirement just isn't. I, I, t- I totally agree with you. I think I think my, like I say, I've got a really really big issue with the way the way that the pricing is given is so, uh, so categoric in that. It's been it's been positioned like he's the authority on what the pricing should be, right? So what yeah. what then happens? And 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 this is why the transport managers that are in the groups need to push back on this. Is the issue is is that what then happens is in any negotiation when someone goes in at a number that sets that sets kind of the bar straight yeah. away. So it doesn't really matter who it is, but if someone appears to have a bit of authority in that sector and goes right, two vehicles is 500 quid, for example, um, all of a sudden the, the the buyer's thought process goes, right, I should be paying 500 quid. Yeah. And then when someone tries to go, well, actually, you've got two vehicles, but you've got no no documentation, you've got nothing, you know, you need setting up from the beginning, it's going to take an enormous amount of work, and actually you need this health and safety piece of work doing you need this audit doing and all of a sudden actually that that needs to be 750 800 pounds a month which i don't think in some businesses that's actually quite feasible for two vehicles if not a thousand you know excuse me if you start getting into different elements of people's businesses to help support them then there's absolutely no reason why it should even be calculated on the number of vehicles rather than no. the amount of work that's required. Yeah. Um, so I find that, yeah, very frustrating. Like two of my operators, one of them, I've actually known him a very long time. And I only I took him on last year. And a lot of people, if I said what I was charging him, would think, Jesus Christ. But 
he, he only has a very small fleet of trucks, but he has a very large fleet of vans. He's then into plant area, he has 140 staff. And, but he looks on me, he, know, he knows how I work and he's known me that long. He knew me when I had my old business, but I'm there as his rock to a certain degree. Whatever he's got an issue with, he comes to me, you know what I mean? And he can ring me seven days a week. I'm not bothered. His drivers can ring me seven days a week. But I'm there for whatever he needs to hand with. He's got a full, full transport, like fleet management team there that look after everything. He's part of FARS. And I just basically oversee it all. But he's paying for my knowledge and my expertise. He's not paying X amount of money just for me to go in, sort his paperwork, do a bit of this, do a bit of that, and go home. You know what I mean? And I don't hold him really to any set amount of hours either but i'm on the good side all the time i know i am and he knows that if we go over a certain time it'll be paying x amount of pounds extra but yeah. you can't look a lot of these businesses you can't just go in and say i'll do it 500 quid because it just yeah. it won't work no. you know what i mean and i had one last year and I, I took him on he'd been in a pi i took it took him on after the pi totally turned him around had a full otc audit last september Few little recommendations, but very picky things like signing off of training when you've got this training sheet, make sure the actual driver signs it. Whereas I had the training sheet, but it wasn't signed by the driver. And I think, well, why does the driver need to sign it when I've already got his driver's CPC ticket there or a copy of it? And just little picky things like that. But and we got to the end of the year and basically I said, oh, and I doubled his rate. And he said, fine. Crack on, not even a murmur, nothing. Just said, yeah, you're doing a spot on job. I've no worries. DVSA cracks him, rolls up in my yard now. He says, I'll open the office door and welcome them in. You know what I mean? But he said, it's worth paying that money. So. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely get it, mate. Completely get it. Okay, Brill. So um, other ways for ETMs to look for work. Facebook's a good one. Um, setting up your own website, making sure you've got your own SEO and that kind of thing would be useful too. Is yeah. there anything else you suggest? Well, not really. Cause like Facebook is your best option. Like I'm, well, I'm still, I've actually managed, I've been doing my website for don't know since last spring and I've actually sent all my stuff to the guy. Now he's been harassing me and harassing me and I've actually sent it all to him. So he's happy. So, but uh, I know a few guys have got a website and they've, they've said basically they haven't gained a great deal from it. But it's like you say, you need an SOE. I think really you can use Facebook again. You can use the groups. If you've got a website, get your website on there. You know what I mean? As long as you're not filling the groups up, most of them aren't going to bother. If you're, if you're putting an advertisement on every two, three, four weeks, they're not going to really bother. But a lot of the guys, like I said before, they don't bother. You know what I mean? waiting and waiting and waiting and then like an agency will put a job up oh let's jump at that well how many others are jumping at it as well how many others are in the queue mm -hmm. so then it's a case of, well i'll do it 50 quid cheaper you know what i mean you don't want to be in that position you want to be able to get people to come to you don't you yeah absolutely absolutely so, no that's spot on okay cool so uh okay to move on to the third area richard yeah awesome third area then drivers this should be interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, 
related to drivers' concerns we've got and building rapport with drivers. Let's start with those. Yeah. What do you reckon, mate? Well, I think there's, there is a lot of issues here with TMs. Uh, I think there is a lot of TMs going to the job and they'll turn up at an operator's and it's then I'm the bigger I am. I'm in charge. You do as I say, not as I do, this, that and the other. And it just, I've been a driver. You know what I mean? I've seen it from when my dad was in the, in the 1970s and I've just come through the years and you see it all the time. And like, even my dad will tell you the last, well, the, when I used to go with him, the firm, it was a big firm in Barrow in Furnace, well-known firm, red, white and blue trucks. They're not going anymore now. And when he actually started for that company in the 70s, the son came into the business and would never drove a truck. And his dad said to him, I want you to drive a truck. I'm not driving a truck. I'm too good to be driving a truck. And all it did was upset the vast majority of me, the drivers. And I even remember at one point, my dad had him by the throat in the office in front of everybody and picked him up because he, was, he wasn't a big guy. He was like about five foot four, picked him up by his throat, put him up against the thing. And uh, he actually tried to sack me dad, but the dad, the father stood in and basically said, you ain't sacking him. He said, he's one of the main drivers. And he says, you can't afford to lose him. And, uh, but that isn't me saying you've got to have been a driver to be able to be able to get on with the driver, but you've got to be able to look at the driver. I know some of them are a pain in the ass, but you've got to try and relate to them. You know what I mean? And understand where they're coming from. And, it isn't a good, it isn't an, the easiest of jobs to do. You know what I mean? There is a lot of shit you have to deal with. But then again, it's what you make it as well. You know what I mean? A lot of people love the job and it can be a great job. I wouldn't like to do it now, the way the roads are. But uh, your attitude, that is just the problem with a lot of TMs is their attitude. You know what I mean? And because uh, like, I don't can't remember where we are on them things now. What have we asked? Uh, don't worry, mate. I've just started at the top of number three, mate. Yeah. It's about we're talking about like treating drivers. How do you treat? Oh yeah. Them, kind of you have, you, you've got to build a report, and it's 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 a bit of a difficult one to talk about, really. But I just see it on the Facebook groups a lot of the the way that a lot of the TMs come across, and I just think I can see you having issues with your drivers. Because of your general attitude, yeah, you know what I mean. Because they're dickheads. Well, basically, yeah. But <laughs> you can't you can't go to the driver and say you're a dickhead. You know what I mean. Once you've built that rapport with them, you can have a laugh and a joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, some of mean? the some of the transport managers are dickheads. Is what I mean. Oh, some yeah. of them. Oh yeah. Some of them, like you just but, think if you come in, if you walked in and spoke to me like that, mate, I'll take your head off. Some of them. And There's no respect. Some of I them. I know. And it's like the last, this operator I've just, well, not taken on as yet because he's got a PI. And two of the drivers actually rung me up because everybody that I look after, the drivers all have my number. They know when they, they can phone me seven days a week. And I've said to them, between eight o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night, seven days a week, you can phone me. If you've got an issue, phone me. I'd rather you phone me than make a mistake or so, something happen, just phone me. And two of them actually phoned me up. And they've been in the job since they basically left school. One of them's 60, 62, I think. And he said, 
he, well, he rung me up to ask me something and he said, right, he said, I want to thank you. I said, what for? He says, for not being an asshole. I said, what do you mean? He says, you're the first transport manager I've ever had that I can actually talk to and ask. And he says, and he says, you come to us and you basically, I sent him all an email when I first come on board. To basically say what who I was, what I'd, what I'd, just to give me a little brief background and all this lot. And he said, you actually came on board and you introduced yourself. And he said, we never really had that before. Nobody's really introduced themselves. He said, I know you didn't do it in, per, um, in person, but he said, you physically can't because of the way you, you ETM work, ETM work goes about. But uh, he says, you've actually introduced yourself. And he said, I've had a chat with you now. And he said, um, he said, you're probably the only transport manager I can say that's half decent. You know what I mean? And he yeah, said, most awesome. of them are just so far up their own backside. It's yeah. untrue. And he said, they don't listen. You know what I mean? They think mm-hmm. they know better, but he said, half of them haven't got a clue. Half of them don't know that how to get away from the desk or nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it, it is a difficult one, but you have got to just build that rapport with that driver. But how you do it, you know what I mean? Every driver's different, every situation's different, but you can't just go go in like a bull in a china shop because you just you are gonna just wind people up. Yeah. And the That's... one person you need on your side as a TM is a driver. And if you haven't got the driver on your side, you know what I mean? You've got a very difficult job on your hands. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree. I can't disagree with that. I think um it's very important trying to get you're not going to win everyone over it's my old dad well, used no. to, my, my dad always used to say some of the people some of the time not all the people all the time but no. um but yeah. you often find as well if you can win some of them over over time the other ones yeah, they'll you usually sort of like start yeah. to think oh well he's not he's not bad after all you know what i mean and the other drivers start talking and saying well he's helped me out with this or he's done that and then they sort of like start to come in and then you sort of like you're always going to get the odd one that isn't going to be interested, you know what I mean? And that's it, but it's no think, good going into a firm. I think you've got to set your stall out early doors and get them on board. Uh, but obviously, you, you there are elements here, you know, you've, you've written them on there about disciplining and, and making sure that, you know, you properly discuss infringement debriefs and those kinds of things. But as long as you approach it the right way, they'll understand you've just got a job to do like anyone else. Yeah. And you've, you've, got, to, you've got to do your job. And if, even if it comes to wrapping the knuckle, sometimes that's... If you've won the respect, then that's not as difficult a job as it could be if you're yeah. a dickhead to them, really. Yeah. I think. No, very good. Very good. What one one of the things you wrote here that actually really piqued my interest. One of the things that I was going to ask about, obviously, we we're talking a bit about how you treat drivers and that kind of thing. Driver CPC training, who should pay for the training? <clears throat> well, that was an interesting one. What do you reckon, mate? Well. I think the company should pay for the training. I don't think the company has to really pay the driver to attend the training. Uh, even if the training really is on a Saturday, I just think, well, if the company is actually paying for the training, the driver has to have that training no matter what, doesn't he? You know what I mean? So I think at the end of the day, if the company pays for it, the company then can dictate really. The company is better paying for it and saying, right, we're going to use such and such to do the training. They're going to do the course to suit our operation and we're paying for it. We just want you to attend. You know what I mean? And I've had that even when I was self-employed as a driver years ago, I always, I, I used to pay for my own training, but then occasionally if I work for somebody, 
even if I was self-employed, if I worked for somebody that respected me and looked after me, they would still say, we're going to send you on this course, we're paying for it. Can you just attend it? You know what I mean? And to me, I just think, well, yeah, it's my Saturday. My Saturday's gone, but you know what I mean? It's one seven-hour slot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And right. You've only got to do five every five years, isn't you? It's only five well, Saturdays. That's what every I mean. And that's, that's another thing that gets my go up is like these drivers and like they don't want to do it every year. They just want to leave it to year five and they leave it to the very last minute. And then it's like, oh, I have to go and do 35 hours. Well, it's, you know what I mean? It's one seven hour stint a year. What's that out of your life? You know what I mean? You're yeah. going to lose one day's pay or you're not even losing a day's pay. You're losing one day of your own freedom to go and sit in a classroom and hopefully learn something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But exactly. I, I personally think, yeah, the company should pay for it. But I don't think the company should really have to pay the driver to attend it. But like some companies do. Some companies do it in the driver's work hours. Even better. You know what I mean? You're getting paid to attend training. That's even better. But not what are these small operators that an ETM works for can't afford to do that. Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're really proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. At Flagship Partners, we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership. We help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC and other transport management services. So if your four is accredited or you want to improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. Yeah, that's um, that that that's a tricky thing. I, certainly, as a we're a driver CPC training provider, and uh, we see a range of different options from that company don't pay for it, make the drivers do it themselves, through to they pay for it and pay the drivers to do it. So there is the full spectrum, but by and large, most of our clients tend to pay for it, and the drivers turn up of their own time. Yeah. Um, however, essentially, they've. I, I like to think that the company have chosen a reputable provider rather than a lot of the, you know, 35 pound a day merchants on Facebook that you see yeah. um, where you just go and sit on a zoom call um, for however long. And I've heard some horror stories where, you know, if we, if we get booked for a day's training, we will go in and we'll understand their business. We'll say, what are your challenges? We'll speak to the transport manager. What infringements are you getting for example, if we're doing drivers hours? what infringements are you getting? You know, what are the challenges you're facing? So we can start to really make sure that we're hitting home. Yeah. You know, how they use POA, for example, how they, you know, how they're doing what they're doing um, and use it, speak to them in their own language rather than them all booking individually onto a generic course that doesn't mean um, yeah. anything to them. You know, yeah. I think, uh, I think that's the, that's the crux of it. I think CPC, CPC can be a really good tool for a business if it's yeah. used and, and explored and used properly and done properly. And now there's no reason not to, particularly particularly with uh, the rules getting stricter around um, around making sure that a range of different trainings taking place rather than the same old courses time, yeah. time and again. Obviously, yeah, it's good to get it planned. And like you say, uh, one, one day a year or seven hours a year, that's it really. That is all it is. So there's no reason for the bitching and moaning. There's so much like, oh, why has it gone away and why this, that and the other? It's never going to go away. No. We're not, we're not going to make the roads less safe. No. Essentially, CPC done properly makes the roads safer because people understand the legislation better. The, everything's In the last two, three years alone, there's been so many changes. How can you justify not having CPC? There's been so much new stuff for people to learn. Yeah. 
doesn't it? Anyway, yeah. you happy to move on to number four? Walk around checks and gate checks, vehicle auditing. Well, we'll just before we re- leave drivers, we've just got infringements. Okay, infringement yeah. reports. Yep. That's we're on to another one basically along the lines of driving license checks, as in infringement reports. What do they do there? Do they just basically say, you know, what I mean, what are TMs doing? Are they basically yeah. issuing the infringement report to the driver and saying, can you just sign that drive? And the driver's looking at it saying, well, what have I done wrong? Well, it's all there. You read it because the TM doesn't really know what he's reading. You know what I mean? How many TMs are like that? A lot. I've seen it many a time. You know what I mean? And this, again, comes down to you don't learn that in the TM course. So that's something else where you really need to go and do. If you don't understand the driver's hours, you know what I mean? Like I've been a driver and I've learned them and that was probably my best subject when I did my TM course. And even when I did my course, the instructor stopped me answering questions on driver's hours because every time he asked a question, I put my hand up. And he stopped me doing it in the end because he said that is your best subject. And it, So I'm lucky that I can read an infringement report. How many TMs can say that? You know what I mean? There's a lot that isn't, can't, I should say. Mm-hmm. So if you can't read one, how are you going to expect your drivers to improve? You've got to be able to sit that driver down, explain exactly what's in that infringement report. What are they doing wrong? You know what I mean? Yes, it might look bad on the infringement reports because it'll say you've not had an insufficient break. And it might be that they've had a 15-minute break at two hours, but then they've gone to four hours, 31 minutes. So, yeah, it's, it's caused an infringement, but it's one minute. You know what I mean? It's not a great deal. It's not a a big deal, but if it's happening two or three times or twice a day, every day, well, it is an issue, isn't it? You know what I mean? But that TM has got to be able to sit down, read that infringement report, explain it to that driver, get him to then sign it. You know what I mean? Fill out a debrief and basically say what's been discussed in that meeting, how are you going to improve, are we going to give that driver training? Or we're going to issue him with some literature so he can go away, do a little bit more learning, and then we'll have a look again next month, see how he's improved. But yeah. there's something that TMs need to bear in mind. Don't just print off the reports, sign their drive and file it, because it just isn't going to work. No, absolutely. And I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Hit the nail on the head. The, the, ultimately, the thing is, is a lot of the infringement letters, they don't actually make much sense. No. Really. No. Um, you know, I um I've, I've mentioned Takamasa before, but I've got a few clients who use Takamasa. I'll raise an infringement letter, and the infringement is the infringement will be that there's been a longer than 15 hour shift. Yeah. Okay. But the infringement letter doesn't say you've had a shift longer than 15 hours. That'd be really nice and easy. And I would be able to give that infringement letter to a driver and go, here, sign that driver. Because it tells him that he's had a longer than 15 hour shift and therefore he's got an infringement. But that's not what it does. What it does is it tells him that he's driven, I don't know, 13 hours in 24 hours. He goes, I've never driven 13 hours in 24 hours. No, you haven't. But you haven't registered a daily rest long enough to be able to reset your driving time because you've not yeah. had that full daily rest. So the yeah. infringement letter doesn't say you've had a 15, a longer than 15 hour shift. It says you've had 12 hours driving um it, it, in fact it doesn't even mention the fact that you haven't had a long enough rest it says it, it just tells you you've had too much driving yeah so and that's why 
that's why we need to have that input, but also why transport managers need to understand the rules because otherwise, otherwise they're incorrectly advising or they're interrogating the data in the wrong way. And yeah. that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, mate. Absolutely right. Cool. Okay, to move on to number four, mate. Yeah. Good. Walk around, checks, gate, checks, vehicle order in. Here's a good question for you. I haven't seen it on the actual list there, but I was just going to go for it, right? So drivers have to do a daily check, right? Yeah. We need to do gate checks, which I know you'll talk about in a bit. But it was interesting. There was a there was a comment on, I can't remember what group it was on. I don't know if it was on the group you're on or, or not. But um, someone was saying, what do you check on a gate check? Yeah. Do you think a transport manager should be fully rechecking the daily check that the driver's done? Or is that, or is a gate check a, a proper management check? And what I mean by that is, are they not checking PPE processes followed, making sure that the check has been for the right amount of time, making sure that there's no mechanical defects, those kinds of things? Or should they just be re-walking around what the actual driver's done, so to speak? How would you how would you manage it? See, this is partly this comes back to a TM's knowledge, experience, and training again as well. Because how many TMs have the knowledge? What's involved in a vehicle check? You know what I mean? If they've never driven a truck and they've never had much mechanical experience with a vehicle, mm-hmm. what? Well, there's, there's there's plenty of drivers with no mechanical experience, though, isn't there as well? There is. There, there's plenty well, of drivers yeah. with no but, mechanical experience as well. That's that in theory is part of the company's job when they enrol them to make sure that they're aware of what they are checking, aren't they? Mm-hmm. To pass your HGV, you have to, or when you actually do your test, or from what I remember when I did mine many many years ago, you had to check certain items. You had that's to right. do a bit of a. I can't even remember now. It's that long ago, but there were certain items you had to check. So you had to go around, you know what I mean? So that was all part of your training, but it isn't part of your training on your TMCPC. No, no, that's right. You know what I mean? So that's another subject where the the transport manager needs to be aware of what should he be checking. But like some people say, do a gate check, let's just use one of those and we'll just write it on, which is fine. I have a purpose made. This is just an example for gate check. But basically when I do a gate check, I will walk around that vehicle and do a gate check or do a vehicle check, but not to the same depth of the, what the driver will do because I've, I've got the experience and the mechanical knowledge. So I can be, I'm basically going around looking for things to basically jump out at me. You know what I mean? I'm not going to start looking at date codes on tires, but I'm going to start looking as fact, like I'm going to be quick, but I'm going to be looking at tires and think, you know what I mean? If it looks old, looks damaged, I'm going to take a course or what. But I'm walking around and I'm looking at stuff. Like, yeah, he'll have all his lights on, indicators on, etc. And I'll be basically walking around looking for something obvious that'll stick out. So it might be just a side light bulb. Number plate might be on the trailer upside down, something like that. Might have a flat bed on with ratchets and one just looks slack. I'm not going to go on twanging them all, but one looks slack. And I'll basically do that quick walk around. Then I'll go into the cab if he's got a sat-nav, quick look at the sat-nav, see what the settings are on the sat-nav. Is it to the correct height? I'll have a look at the height indicator. I'll do a printout to see how long he's actually spent doing his check. That'll get attached to my gate check form. Basically, and then I'll be looking at the mirrors, the windows, see what they're like for cleanliness. 
uh, how many printer rolls he has in the cab. Uh, if he's in a vehicle with analog taco, or he's driving both, has he got records for both with him, etc. That's it. But if you go too far into it, if you do a proper daily check, and then you're checking other things in the cab, you're going to be there 20 minutes. You know what I mean? You can't really be there 20 minutes, can you? You know what I mean? If you want to carry out, if you've got a fleet of 20 vehicles, you ain't going to gate check them all, but you might want to do three. But if you take 20 minutes to do a gate check, that's an hour gone. You know what I mean? And them drivers, you're holding them drivers up. So you've got to be fast, but you need that knowledge about you as well. What are you you looking for? And then you also need that printout. You know what I mean? You can staple that printout to that gate check. So at least when DVSA come and look through your files, they can see you're doing a printout. So you can actually then, in the comments, the driver's only had five minutes and it's an Arctic. You know what I mean? You're going to be pulling that driver up and just say, well, how have you checked that vehicle in five minutes? Mm-hmm. I know there's no specific measurement on time for a gate check. And I know I remember when I was tramping, I could probably do a, a vehicle check in five minutes. But mm-hmm. I'm tramping in that vehicle. You know what I mean? The same vehicle week after week. Nobody used it on a weekend. You get to know the vehicle, so you can do a thorough check. You know what I mean? But as soon as you start changing trails or changing trucks, yeah, you're back to like 20 minutes. Could even be longer to do a proper check. But uh, no. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think a gate check needs to be done swiftly, promptly. I think um, I think it's wrong. So my, my opinion was that, and my my issue with it slightly different. It isn't just about it isn't just about um, the time that it takes. My issue also is that essentially a, it's a driver's responsibility to make sure his vehicle's roadworthy. Yeah. If a transport manager goes and rechecks everything and then signs it off, he's essentially taking responsibility for the roadworthiness of the vehicle yeah. over and above the driver. Yeah. So my 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 challenge there is I think the gate check should be about. Like you say, and, and I feel fortunate because I'm, I'm also of a workshop background. So yeah. I know, you know, the quick things to look out for. You know how to see if there's issues with wheel nuts or tires or anything like that. You, you can spot them a mile off. Yeah. But ha- having a walk around, making sure lights are good. I make sure wheels and tires are checked. <laughs> I make sure the body works all good. Um, I, uh, yeah, lights are good, number, stupid things, you know, number is the number plate clean, you know, those kinds of things. What's a windscreen like? Like you say, cleanliness of windscreen and mirrors. But also the key thing is like, have you got, how long have you taken to do your check? Um, that, like you say, that's a, that's a big one. Making sure you've got all, like, for example, if your fours is the fours folder in there, is it present? Do you understand all the policies and procedures? Have you got any outstanding infringements? Um, you know those things have you got any issues we need to talk about because i also just use it as an opportunity to build a relationship with the driver as well because it's a good yeah. opportunity to get down and also they like to feel understood and that you're knowledgeable so yeah. if you can start to talk to them about stuff and maybe show them the odd thing or maybe like help them with something that makes such a difference going back to what we we're talking about before from getting yeah. down with them and you know that there's nothing better to win drivers over than showing you're willing to be on site at four in the morning with them to check, yeah. you know, because yeah. they, it, it shows you mean business, right? Yeah. Much more than uh, you, you go and meet them where they're at and have a chat with them then. 
and and show the gate check make them understand because the gate check's a good way of starting to educate them around the rules of operator licensing what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it and and start to help build their understanding because they might not get the insights into what our responsibilities are and what we're doing and yeah. I, I i like i like i think they they start to learn to respect that as well and i think that yeah. builds a good mutual understanding about why the check process is important i'm here at this time in the morning too because it's important to me that it's done properly yeah can you help me make sure it's done properly every day because it's really important to both of us yeah um i think that's a yeah good good process to follow mate no very good very good it was interesting it was just interesting in the chat because i saw a lot of the tm say you know you you literally recheck everything that they're checking and i felt yeah. i felt that didn't right, feel so right on, to me on this sheet i have i have oh, i've the, got a bespoke sheet too by yeah, the way so I, don't, has, I don't follow at the, the top i have auditors instructions so i have Auditors' instructions. As the daily check auditor, your role is not to carry out a walk-around check of the vehicle, but to audit random areas of the thorough pre-use vehicle walk-around check that the driver must have completed before they start their journey and enter the public highway. You know what I mean? So all you're doing is auditing what he's done. You're not, like you say, you're not going over everything he's done because at the end of the day, it's the driver's responsibility, not yours. No. You know what I mean? He's our responsibility is that defect sheet. Yeah. The key difference is our responsibility is to ensure that he's well managed at doing yeah. that and is properly trained to do it. And yeah. that's the gate check is training. It's the opportunity to train. It's the opportunity to discuss and to make clear priorities. And it's the opportunity to audit that the process has been followed properly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, awesome. Um I think we've almost nailed that one pretty much, haven't we? Excuse me. Um, two character vehicle audit is added. Right, okay, that's a good one. Okay, we'll cover that. A vehicle audit when a new vehicle is added to the fleet or on a monthly basis, how do you know if anything's missing? Yeah, so this is a good, good additional process that I think is just worth mentioning. It's making sure that that process is followed, that particularly as an ETM, I think this is a really, really valid one, is that vehicles can come and go. And I know we're going to touch on it on, on the next one, on number five, when we start talking about vehicle maintenance and pre-use checks. But essentially, there is this opportunity for fleet vehicles to change when you're not present. And it's making sure that you've got a really good control over that fleet movement, I think is probably what you meant by that last that, that last point. Understanding is, is the fleet properly accounted for? Is the fleet... Is the fleet on the TACO software correct? Is the fleet on the O license correct? Is the fleet on the maintenance planner correct? And it constantly on a monthly basis, just making sure that everything's correct. Is that oh, yeah. Like I put a post up the other week uh, to do with an operator and I'd been there on a Saturday, spending the whole day on the Saturday going through every vehicle. And it covers all sorts. It covers even from the basics of, I'm sat in the driver's seat. Can I open the door? Can I lock the door? The driver's door, I mean now. Can I open okay. the door from the inside? Well, can I open the door from the outside? Can the door be locked? Can I get I get in? The seat's all working correctly. Seat belt's all working correctly. Can I open the door, shut the door, and lock the door? You know what I mean? Amount of, drive, amount of vehicles you get in and you can't even lock the driver's door. It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? But really, that is a legal requirement. That door has got to be able to lock. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like I had a vehicle where the driver was putting the seatbelt in behind the seat because yeah. he doesn't want to wear it because he's got his pleated curtains 
and all the other carry-on that he's got in his truck. You know what I mean? And it was instant. He, he hadn't, wasn't even hiding it, but there's damage to the seatbelt because of it. I'm checking like the O-license disc and the number on the back of the O-license disc is that the number that's listed on balls. You know yeah. what I mean? How many, how many TMs would actually bother to go and check? You know what I mean? Yeah. And have we got a copy of that O-license disc, a photocopy in the vehicle file? You know what I mean? Same. Is it got? Is the plating certificate in the cab? The amount of vehicles you go to, plating certificates disappeared. You know what I mean? Have you got a photocopy of it, or have you got another copy of it in the vehicle file? Uh, all sorts of things you're going through. You know what I mean? And I, I, I even the last thing I measured, last thing I did was measure the height of every vehicle, and then checking the height indicator in the cab is does that correspond? You know what I mean? Most of the vehicles, the lads had it all right. There was the one with the frilly curtains and that he took his height indicator off because he wanted his TV up and his height indicator is stuck in a stuck in a little cupboard. Well, it's a legal requirement. You've got to have height indicator on shore. You know what I mean? But how many, how many TMs will bother to check the vehicle? Yeah. 100%. You know what I mean? And there's now I now I have a record sheet for every audit done on that Saturday in the vehicle file. So it's in with the maintenance. So as you're going through the PMIs and the defect sheets and all that, that pops up, you know what I mean? And then going forward, I'll have a slightly different monthly audit sheet to checking certain things again on a monthly basis, but some of them things I checked the first time, I wouldn't be checking again, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Because we've got a record of it, we don't need to know again, but there is things like the all license disc, you do need to check that every month because how do you know it might not have, it might have come off the road, been in the garage for two or three weeks, and then gone back on the road, but in that time they took it off the oil license because they've put something else on or a higher vehicle. Then it's come back on the license, so then it's got a new disc, but nobody's bothered to tell you any of this, or you haven't quite worked it out. You know what I mean? And it might take you longer than that. It might take you two months before you've actually realised and got all your paperwork sorted. That truck might have had its operator license swapped. You know what I mean? But yeah. at least by doing it every month, things like that are showing up. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, man. Really good point. No, that's um, that's really interesting, actually. That's really interesting. I suppose um, what I would say is if people are interested in um, any of your audit files or anything like that, then people can drop you a message if they're interested, all right? Well, they, well, they can go on my website when my website's done. Ah, there you go. All, yeah, these, yeah. all these sorts of things will be available, but I won't be holding them up too long, then they're not getting ideas. <laughs> no, fair enough. But, uh, okay. But before we jump, before we jump, we'll just need yeah. to uh, quickly, because somebody did actually ask me. I'm I'm still a little bit old school, so any of my operators, I still haven't got them onto digital checks. One of them that I'm actually helping now, he he had digital checks and he's gone back to paper because he's had so many issues with the digital checks. Plus, he's got a couple of old school drivers that struggle with the new style phones, you know what I mean? I think one of them's still on a Nokia 3310. And uh, he just gone back to paper. And I like the paper, you know what I mean? It tells a story. But this guy had actually asked his TM about digital walk round checks. Should the DVS, like, should they be, like, really approved by the DVSA before they're actually put into action? You know what I mean? Should they? Because we all know these have been around for years. And they work, don't they? Mm -hmm. Might be basic, 
but they do the job. Like this is a little bit more complex. It's a fours one, got a little bit more in it, but yeah. So this so is the, so the digital versions be DBSA approved. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is. I uh, I th- I, no, I think I think I think you make a valid point. Actually, it's not something I'd really thought about. Although as a business, we've come across it when we've been helping uh, helping some of our clients. So, um, I. I have a preference for online systems. I like I like the online system, but I'm I guess I'm a bit quite digital anyway in 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 the way we do things, and I like to be able to manage things like remotely. But um, what you what you mentioned is actually something that's really really useful and really pointed actually, and that is several of the operators where we've gone in to help them or carried out audits, and they're using the online systems. They've not got sufficient coverage to meet the requirements of a daily check yeah. on the items because yeah. they've put them together themselves or their transport managers put them together or maybe, I don't know, Derek in the office who hasn't got a transport manager CPC has just put it together for them. Or, um, you know, so with the RHA check app, with, uh, the, the, there's lots of them anyway. There are lots of them, but essentially you can build your own check app. So you can build yeah. your own list of stuff, right? Yeah. And and the, the amount of times that either, and, and, and I don't know why drivers allow it to happen really, the check either doesn't follow a natural route of the vehicle yeah. because ultimately those books have been written another way they are because they follow a natural route around the vehicle. They, they follow a correct process. Yeah. Um, so you, you have a check app, which is all over the fucking shop, um, or it might not be relevant to the vehicle you're checking. So for example, like, I don't know, you're checking like a, a, a sheet on an Arctic. So it's like a, a tip of vehicle check and actually you've got an Arctic or you might be, you know, you, you're checking an Arctic on a, on a, on a tip of check and there's no fifth wheel. There's no coupling yeah. check or anything like that, for example. So yeah, we come across, we come across that on a regular basis and that that's a big, big tip actually for yeah. if you're on if you're on a digital check app to ensure that you go that I, f- I don't know the exact link and i'll find it and put it in the show notes for this but there is a link where it it, it says the statutory guidance on what needs to be checked on a daily check you yeah. need to make sure that's what we use as our fail safe all the time we literally just go on it's on the dvsa site you go on the dvsa site and it lists everything that needs to be checked so we ensure that the check app lists everything that needs to be checked. Yeah. Um, and then if they're fours, you have to have the additional fours gear and all, all that sort of uh, caboodle that, that, that comes with it. But ultimately, yeah, there are a lot of operators out there who have converted onto a check app and actually it's not got everything that's needed to be checked on no. it. That's, that's frightening. That's a frightening. I know. And that's right. The other thing then comes to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, as, as the company got a written procedure in place anyway, for the daily checks, for the defect reporting, and for the procedure for VOR of a vehicle. How many companies will you go to and they'll have nothing in place? Absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? But then again, that's that's coming back to the TM. That's something the TM has to put in place. And then we can move on to VOR. How many people actually think when a vehicle's off the road, they have to record the fact it's off the road? What do they do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like another one of my things is I have a proper VOR record sheet. You know what I mean? Then it has a key register sheet. Usually I'll have a sign in every vehicle made up to suit the sign. That'll stay in the vehicle. You know what I mean? Double-sided. But there's full procedure in place. 
And then are you downloading the vehicle when it's off the road? You know what I mean? I'll download the vehicle, take a picture, take an actual photograph of the dashboard, take a picture of the tackle head, download it, attach everything to there. You know what I mean? How long is the vehicle going to be off the road? Is it going to be off the road three months? Well, if it is, why don't we sell the vehicle and get three months tax back? Mm -hmm. Things like that, you know what I mean? There's a whole host of things you can do, but the amount of people that just do not record a vehicle being off the road, you know what I mean? It's a case of it's broke down, stick it in the corner, forget about it for three weeks till we can afford to buy a gearbox, and then we'll think about sorting it out, you know what I mean? And But, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere in that three weeks, but you can't just think, well, that vehicle's knackered, it ain't going anywhere, so nobody's going to drive it. You've got to have that procedure in place and follow that procedure, whether that vehicle's, the gearbox has exploded, or whether it's just got a dodgy tyre, but we've got to wait for the tyre to come in tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? What's to stop anybody going out in it? What have you done to stop anybody going out in it? You know what I mean? How, have you, how do you know nobody's going to go out in it? You've got to have that procedure in place and you've got to follow it through. Very good. Yeah, no, very good, mate. Very good. Okay, cool. We are an hour and a half into an hour-long podcast and we've got two more items yeah, to cover. I I, that's what I said to you. I said it for two hours. <laughs> it is going to be, isn't it? It is going to be. Right, okay. Buckle up. So, uh, PMIs and MOTs. So, yeah. the first question is, are they the same thing? Yeah. Very valid question. I think I think it's probably a bit of a worry, but um, I think... Uh, some uh, some people may get a bit. bit I think a lot. I think confused. a lot of people think they're really near enough the same thing. Yeah. And that's going to bring me back to the ETM. So this just mm -hmm. shows that like he's fairly clued up. This guy, even though he's new. Mm -hmm. This was another part to his, and he he's been in a new operators seminar. I've never been mm -hmm. in one of them yet. Have you not? No, they're, actually, in, they're actually quite interesting. Well, well this is what on. he said, and he's he has learned some things the other day, but. He's actually wrote down here what got discussed on PMIs, MOTs. The point was raised, he's put here, the point was raised in yesterday's seminar that a bit like one millimetre's tread on three quarter the width of a tyre. An MOT represents the minimum standards of roadworthiness, basically a snapshot in time. PMIs should, in fact, be more stringent than the MOT because they should try to ensure the vehicle should be re remain defect-free until the PMI, which is exactly what a PMI is, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas the amount of times people will come on the groups and say, the vehicle's had an MOT, but basically they presented it for MOT. Luckily, it's passed first time with nothing being done. And then they just think, well, let's crack on for six weeks. But that isn't its PMI. There's nothing in that MOT to say that vehicle, yes, it might have advisories, but there's nothing really in that MOT to say that vehicle is hopefully going to be fit for the next six weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, nothing no, in that MOT absolutely. to say the brakes are at 30%. Are they going to make it to the next PMI? You know what I mean? If it's on heavy work or if it's doing tipper work out of quarries, is it going to make the next MO at next PMI? Probably isn't. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But yeah. they are the complete opposite end of the scale to each other. Yeah. I'm I, I'm maybe a little bit um uh, blinded with this because a lot of a lot of the companies so I, I always enforce a PMI prior to MOT. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and not only a PMI. So, and I, I guess this is where it comes from my background working with Volvo in the workshop in that we were so tight on our MOT pass rate. We, you know, as a depot, we were expected to achieve 98% MOT pass rate. Now, you know, you have to test a lot of vehicles. If you're going to fail a couple of years, you have to be testing a lot of vehicles right first yeah. time. And we would follow like a PMI and then we'd do a like post PMI further check by a supervisor mm -hmm. and then send it to MOT. Um, so there'd be quite a bit. Our operators would get a fair amount of documentation, but I know, I know there'll be a lot of operators out there that will literally just, you know, they'll have a look around and send it for MOT yeah. um, and not make sure that it's done properly. And, and you are absolutely right. So a PMI and an MOT is totally different. MOT is a snapshot and a PMI is going, right, like you say, brakes are here or taco calibrations here and it's going to be out of date between now and six weeks' time. So let's get it done now or at least rebook it for next week or whenever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, they're absolutely vital things that need to be checked as part of that MOT down to tire wear you know we used to do brake calculations we used to do calculations so you'd be able to look at the last three pmi dates and what the uh, brake wear percentages were and what the distance covered was so you'd be able to calculate if it's going to hit the next six week um I, you know a lot of the smaller private workshops they don't do that type of thing no. so it's important for a tm to keep an eye on that i would say yeah yeah well that's that's again you're coming back to the, the tm can he actually read the PMI sheet and what it means? You know oh, what I mean? That's true. And the yeah, same that is with, true. Same with I, the I, I never even thought of that, Richard, to be fair. That, <laughs> I guess that's something you just take for granted when you've done when you've been in the workshop. You just well, it is. It's right, you just said then. As a, at Volvo, you were looking at previous records, etc. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's what you need to do as a TM. You get your PMI sheet, you need to then look at the previous PMI sheet. And you need to be looking at one, yeah, you'll be looking at tread depths on your tyres because you'll be wanting to see, well, you know what I mean? There yeah. might be two tyres that, yeah, you've, you might have even wear, so you might have lost two millimetres off each tyre, but then you've got two tyres where you've lost six millimetres. Yeah. So why have you lost six millimetres? That's something you need to investigate. You've got brakes. This, um, this PMI, they were, they're at 50%, but the last PMI, they were at 80 why is that? Why have they worn down so so much in so little time? Have you got a new driver that basically is a total idiot and just wants to drive around at 56 mile an hour all the time and use his brakes at the last minute? And you know what I mean? And things like that, isn't it? But yeah, you've got to be able to read the PMI. And then same with the roller brake test. You get a roller brake test. Do you know what you're actually looking at? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, because it says pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And most of them look at it. Even garages, a lot of garages will look at it and think, ah, it's passed, it's fine. Crack on drive, it's passed. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but the imbalance, you know what I mean? A lot Backhouse, of Backhouse Jones brought it up last week. And they had one operator where the PMR, the roller brake test, they had a 50% imbalance, yeah. but it had passed. Really? Yeah. On a 50, guy, I'm surprised it did as much as 50%. Yeah. Well, yeah. the maintenance provider said it's all right because it's passed. Yeah. You know I mean? and, 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 you know, and this, this, is, this is a big thing to, you know, if we go absolutely back to basics, I know main dealers, I know main dealers that are still brake testing tractor units for the PMI because, yeah. and, and, and this is why we need to be careful of what's in the contract, right? So your vehicle, and I see this time and time again when we go auditing operators, um, uh, they've got a tractor unit. I, 
any manufacturer, it doesn't fucking matter. MAN, Scania, Reveco, whoever. They've got it on a gold contract. So it's on R&M and it's got a PMI uh, maintenance on it. And it's got having a roller brake test as part of that gold contract. And it's part of the two, two and a half grand, three grand a month package that the operator is paying for it. Okay. However, sure as eggs is eggs, whoever's calculated that contract it works in an administrative department that's never seen one end of a truck from another and hasn't got a transport manager CPC and it will just have allowed the time for the brake testing to take place. So it doesn't mean that it has to be loaded. You're not, you've not prepaid for a loaded brake test. You're just going to get a brake test on a vehicle unloaded, no, no yeah. coupling, nothing on it. Um, and that's all you're going to get. So there's a big disparity between even the main dealers are going, we'll keep you compliant. We'll make sure that you've got all the paperwork you need and what have you. And generally speaking, the quality and the standard at which the vehicles are inspected to is better. You are notified if there are challenges, et cetera, et cetera. However, a lot of the time, those roller brake tests, they're not loaded. They've not got a loaded trailer on them. They don't mean shit. No DVSA examiner is going to uh, uh, even, he's going to say to you, well, you know, the vehicle's locked out because it's not properly loaded. Um, See you later. It doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not interested. Well, it yeah. worth the paper it's written on. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think TMs a lot will be a little bit potentially ignorant to that fact, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you say, reading a roller brake test, the other like the other thing, and aside from all of that, is a lot of workshops will just go, yeah, it's past shrug, shrug the shoulders, and actually it's nowhere near a proper pass. Like you say, 50% imbalance, I'm surprised that it had passed, but um, you, you've got to be able to read the brake test. And I, I must say, the DVSA have just bought out, I think, a new on the website, haven't they? They've bought out a new how to read a roller brake test on the website. Yeah. But actually, even that isn't, I don't think that goes into enough depth. I don't oh, know if well. you've read it. I don't know if you've read it, but I don't think it properly explains it either because it, it tells you the terminology. It explains the terminology, but it doesn't explain what constitutes a pass or a fail, for example. Yeah. I have oh. seen it and I've printed it off, but it's in my pile to read. Oh, is it? Oh, you've not read it yet. When, when, no. when you've read it, let me I know. Because I, 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 I had a flick through the other day and I was like, it's still, it's still not really telling what people need to know. Yeah, it, it, it does improve things. It, it, it's making it clear that people have got to read them um, properly, but it doesn't say, you know, if something's failed for one reason, it, it doesn't really tell you what could have gone wrong to have caused that to have no. happened. And no. that's that's sort of, I think they could have probably maybe explained that. Like, this could indicate, you know, they're you know the brakes are glazed or, or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because... A lot of the time, I, th I think, and, and a lot of operators don't realise this. So uh, we used to have a car transporter company use a workshop. And um, the with those setups, you've got the vehicle itself, and then you've got this like three-axle trailer coming along the, behind. And the issue is, is a lot of these brakes are really fucking good now on the, on the units. And what happens is, is the unit does all the fucking braking for the trailer. And, and, and the trailer brakes just end up, bollocks they just end up crap if they're not checked properly and then what will happen is that 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 vehicle will go over and have its brakes tested and it won't be properly loaded because it's awkward or what have you and they'll lock because there's no no lift no no weight on them but actually they're, they're not safe they're not safe yeah. you know yeah. because they're, they're fucked because the the unit's doing all the braking yeah so yeah yeah
Scary, isn't it? Scary prospect, really, when you think about it, I think. And so so just sort of moving on, we talked about roller brake tests, audit and maintenance providers. Yeah. Um, do you follow a process with that? So I'm kind of maintenance provider's worst headache because I go in and I seal their calibration certificates <laughs> and things like that. But <laughs> it sounds like you probably do the similar thing. <laughs> well, I do. Uh I'm lucky that I've only got, I've only had, I've only got one of, well, one of my operators uses Sunday in the north, well, in Manchester, quite a well-known company. And I had an issue last year with them because they actually failed one of his trucks on the MOT, even though they'd had, they'd had the vehicle for three days for a pre-MOT check and it failed on something stupid like a Jubilee clip. But they, they, they blamed the operator because he'd done all the work on the truck. Not didn't matter that they'd had the vehicle for three days to check it. It was still his fault. Yeah. And uh, I did, I, well, I had a full investigation into it. I even copied in the traffic commissioner and it caused an absolute shitstorm with the maintenance provider. And uh, now he's sort of like sorted himself out. And all the, op every time they take a wagon in now, the operator says, it's going to pass in, isn't it? Because you know what's going to happen if it doesn't. And it's a bit of a standing joke now, but I'm working most of my, the other maintenance providers, I know them all. And I've known them quite a long time as well. You know what I mean? And I've, yeah, I've been in and I've got calibration certificates and things like that, but they're all fine with me. I have a good, like a good uh, relationship with them all, but you know what I mean? It's how many TMs, do they know what they're doing when they go and do audit them facilities? You know what I mean? Have they done any training? You know what I mean? Most TMs now are going to listen to this and think, well, do we have to go and audit a maintenance provider? Well, how do you know they're doing a good job? You know what I mean? Are you actually taking that vehicle then to another maintenance provider to do a separate audit as such? You know what I mean? Or just cross-reference that PMI with another PMI. So, yeah, it's a cost to the company, but occasionally you need to do it. So as soon as you pick it up from that PMI, whip it round to another maintenance provider. Can you just PMI that where you've already booked it in? And try, like basically cross-reference the two documents. You know what I mean? How do you know it's giving you a good service? It could be just saying, yeah, everything's fine, but it isn't. And then your driver's taking that truck out. He's doing what he can do, but he's not doing a PMI as his daily check, is he? Okay. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that's really valid. So one of the things that we used to have come up, and I think a lot of the smaller operators or transport managers or smaller operators won't think to do this, but you know when we used to maintain like the big national fleets, they'd have contracts with like Logistics UK, were one of the main jobs back when they were the FTA. You'd you'd uh, sometimes you'd just have the FTA man to turn up, and he'd come and have a look at one of the vehicles we've just rolled out for this operator, um, and he'd go rolling around, uh, or he'd or he'd ask nicely and we'd let him use the pit or what have you um but he'd come in and have a look around we've just signed it off for pmi and he'd be double checking all our work not mot or anything like that it'd just be part of it was part of their maintenance process yeah. to ensure that as a maintenance provider and they were they you know they're a mixed fleet operator so all the other uh, maintenance providers will have had the same treatment um but yeah, they 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 go around and gem, generally speaking, they're pretty good. They'll have a conversation because sometimes, as you know, in the workshop, sometimes these things are a little bit subjective. It can be, I I'm not sure that I'm happy with this for the next six weeks. 
why do you think that's the case and you know sometimes they'd have a grown-up conversation with the technicians which is i think is often the best thing to do rather than just going and defecting something there's often you know people will have seen something and made a judgment and sometimes it's you, you questions people's judgment but um yeah. it's good to have a grown-up conversation around that type of stuff in it rather than sort yeah. of loading people in but you're absolutely right you know the, the the big national operators they they use people like the fta to do a double check on the fleet once it's come out of the maintenance provider because who is who is regulating the maintenance provider they're not regulated they're not you know they're no. not held to the same account and i always say this to drivers when we do our driver cpc of the daily daily checks drivers and i see it all the time because we used to run you know i was in the workshop and i saw drivers come and pick up grab their keys jump in their vehicles and drive out because they think it's just been in for pmi but as soon as that vehicle leaves the bloody gates, it isn't our problem. No. And it isn't the workshop's problem. It's the driver's problem. I uh, I went to a RHA seminar, was it last November, at Manchester, and Gareth Evans, traffic commissioner, like my traffic commissioner for the Northwest, he was speaking. Backhouse Jones was there, Webfleet. And at the end, you got the opportunity to go and have a chat with Gareth. So... I've been in front of him a couple of times. So he was talking to James Backhouse. So I went over and I stood waiting. Mm-hmm. And then James basically looked and saw me there and he knows me. And, and uh, he said, right, I'm going to have to go. And he come over, shook me hand. How are you? And all this. And I said, well, I said, I'm fine. But I said, I've got a question. Oh, well, I'm going, he said. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you're involved in this question as well. What's the question? I said, well, I said, there's drivers, there's TMs. I said, we're all heavily regulated. I said, who regulates the maintenance providers? And he said, well, nobody really. And then he said, why did you say that? So I start telling him the story of this guy in Manchester. Well, Gurath knows then what I'm talking about because I copied him into the investigation. And I knew what Gurath's response was going to be. And he basically turned around and said, well, if you're not happy, change maintenance provider. Yeah. And I had one of my operators, I had his operations manager with me because he come for, he'd never been to one before. So he, he come and he butted in and he goes, well, how's that going to help? And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, all you're doing is moving that problem onto somebody else. He says, why isn't somebody there to regulate them? And he couldn't answer us. You know what I mean? And all, well, basically Jim said, it is something that is being looked at. But he said, don't really expect any change over the next three years. Mm-hmm. He said it probably take longer, but he said it is being looked at. But he said, I get where you're coming from, but he said, I can't answer your question. And Gareth was the same, can't answer your question. You know what I mean? And it doesn't really give you a lot of hope, does it? No. So no, no, it doesn't. It's um and yeah, like the amount of tricky. the maintenance providers I go to, even the ones that I know that I go to now, and when I first took this one of these clients on, and it was the maintenance provider, I've known them a long time, but I've never dealt with them. And I went to him and I had his PMI sheets, and it's like on the tire, on the tire pressures, every tire pressure was either 110, 120, every PMI, 110, 120, whatever. I said, how's them tire pressures like that? What do you mean? And I said, well, the PMI is meant to be, you're meant to record that inspection on that PMI sheet. So whatever you find, you record it on that PMI sheet. So you telling me that 
every tire on that truck was 110 and 120 as per the manufacturer's specification. Well, no, because he said some might have been less, some might have been more. I said, well, why is it not on the PMI sheet? Don't know. He says, never thought we had to do that. And I said, well, what's the point of the PMI sheet? If you're just going to put down what the, pre what the pressures should be, or maybe, yes, you've blown them up or you've deflated them, but where does it say on that PMI sheet that you've rectif rectified the situation? Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't. So now they've all changed. You know what I mean? They're all now, I'm picking up a PMI sheet, and it might say 95 PSI, or it might say 126 PSI or something like that, and then they're writing on the back, deflated or inflated tyres to correct manufacturer's setting. You know what I mean? But they're all, they were all the same. Didn't, didn't think we had to do that. You know what I mean? And I think, who the hell's, tra who's, who's training you? You know what I mean? It is. It's yeah. frightening. It's frightening. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we've moved on to tyres and wheel security because I'll be honest, <laughs> I can never sit in one spot for too long and I've nearly been here two hours and I really need a wee. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to the final final area. Is that all right? We'll, yeah. we'll cover off wheel security and tire management, which is one of the most important things anyway. Um, so let, let's have a cover off of wheel security and tire management and then uh, and then we'll call it quits and I can go for a wee. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so wheel security. Um, tell me a bit about what sort of process, policy, procedure uh, you suggest would be good for that, Richie. Well, basically, every operator needs like a wheel security if they haven't got a policy at least they need a full written working procedure in place and that procedure really needs to cover everybody in that chain so that's why it needs to cover the tm the drivers the maintenance provider or if it's on-site maintenance your on-site maintenance provider so that procedure has got to be written to include everybody in that process and what their role is in that process and how they're going to carry it out. Yep. Perfect. Have you, have you trained your drivers how to identify loose wheel nuts? Uh, how many operators will do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we cover that. Trucks, you can pull up on the motorway in a traffic jam. The amount of times I've looked across at a truck and there's rusty lines running down the wheel. I'm just thinking to myself, I wish this traffic could hurry up and get going because I can get the fuck down that third lane out of the way of that truck. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's just it's frightening. But right, yeah, do man. you carry out wheel nut torque checks? How many operators do that? Yeah, no, you know I, I, absolutely. So um I think uh, it's important to ensure firstly that wheel talks that wheel talks are recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, with a calibration, with a torque wrench that's calibrated and that the yeah. torque wrench is regularly calibrated um, as, as it should be. Um, and then the retorques are recorded as well is, is particularly important, isn't it? But like you say, the training side of it, we cover it as part of the driver's daily check CPC course, what to look out for for wheel nuts. Um, but yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. It's not mandatory. This is where sometimes things should be mandatory. That and this is one of them, isn't it? A proper daily walk around check. Training needs to be mandatory. Well, yeah. But uh, and like with your drivers, if you haven't got a written procedure in place, how do your drivers know what to do? If they have a blowout at roadside, 
and a maintenance provider turns up. I know a lot of maintenance providers that basically turn up, change that wheel, talk the wheel nuts, and then it's like crack on. Some of them don't even give you paperwork. You know what I mean? So yeah. really that operator, part of his contract with that maintenance provider should be having it written in. You do a tire at roadside. You know what I mean? You retalk the wheel, you sit there for 30 minutes and then you retalk it again. But are ah, then you as an operator torque checking that wheel again? Are you doing it later on? Like 200 miles later, 500 miles later. You know what I mean? A lot of people will just say, we'll retalk it 30 minutes, that'll do. You know what I mean? Do you want to be in that position? Do you want to just take that as that's enough? Or do you want to do a torque check 200 miles and then maybe 500 miles down the road? Does it have to be a retalk as such? Because we all know what happens with a lot of people that when they talk wheels, you know what I mean? You might have it at 650 newton meters, but it's let's crack that torque wrench and carry on another quarter return, isn't it? You know what I mean? I know, Your I idea of yeah. the torque wrench is it's telling you when it's up to pressure, yeah. not down to you to put an extra quarter return in. So you like your torque check is really different to your retalk. Mm-hmm. But are you doing torque, torque checks? A lot of operators won't bother. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. absolutely. And the TM, TM doesn't know any different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he should, because the TM is the one that's putting all these things in place. He's putting these procedures, or he or she's putting these procedures in place. So they've got to write them, make sure they work, make sure it's relayed to the driver, make sure everything's recorded. Yep. But is it? No, absolutely. What do you think about tyres as well? How are you uh, How are you managing tyres? I, I got shot down um, or I got some sarky comments the other week when I asked how are uh, operators making sure that they're keeping a record of tyres on their fleet and the ages um, and those kinds of things. And I got a few sarky comments back, but I was interested to see how people were managing that. Yeah. The way I do it is... Uh, like another thing will go like tyre management policy. And it's like, well, on our on the group, qualified transport manager group, somebody put a link up the other day. And there was a few policies on that link from, from an operator. There was a tyre management policy. And I think it was, was it an eighth? That, the tyre management policy was probably the shortest policy out of them all there, right? And I think it was a page and I didn't really comment on it because I, yeah, I've got a full comprehensive list of policies and all that that I've done. And some of my policies I do, I'll go on the internet and I'll route and I'll find policies and I don't, it's not a copy and paste. It's a case of, well, I like to get policies because I like to see how somebody else has written it. Or there might be something in there that that policy might be written and it's crap. And I just think, I shit. But there's one sentence in it that I think, mm, I could use that. And like last year, I've probably spent £500 actually going to different consultants and businesses, buying certain policies, just so I can see what they've done. You know what yeah. I mean? And like I've done my tyre management policy, and I know there was something a few months ago, and our mate Dimitri actually came on and commented. And basically, he, he, he come on with his one of his cocky remarks about, policies and you don't need to have this that and the other in it all it needs to say is uh the law's this you as a driver should be doing this you as a tm should be doing this 
and it should be recorded on this, and that's it. And it's signed at the bottom by the director, right? Well, it doesn't work like that. And so, but it's like a tyre management policy. Probably one of the most important parts of that vehicle is the tyres. You know what I mean? It's like with any vehicle, isn't it? You get a high-performance car, you don't put budget tyres on a high-performance car because that is the only thing that's making you go around the corners at speed or actually stop when you want it to stop. You know what I mean? It's the same with the truck. You can't afford... Yeah, you might run the truck on budget tyres, but you've got to manage them tyres. Yes. You know what I mean? And there's a lot more to a tyre management policy. So it's like, I have a tyre management policy. This one's 13 pages long. A lot of people think, what the hell is in 13 pages? But when you actually start looking at it, it's the obvious what's in it. You know what I mean? It doesn't take long to rack up 13 pages on tyre management when it's such an important subject. Yeah. You know what I mean? But actually recording... A lot of people come on and say, oh, we've got a spreadsheet and it's got every tyre on it and that's it. Well, that's all well and good, but how often are you getting that information and are you just getting that information off the PMI sheets? Mm-hmm. And all my operators, except one, well, he's easily restricted. I don't do them on him because the trucks actually do next to nothing. So his tyres only get checked by either me on a quick check on a gate check by the drivers, which are two old school drivers, the Arthur, or at PMI through DAF. And DAF is probably, I think he's the only main dealer maintenance provider I've got that I actually trust. But all the rest I have on like three weekly tyre inspections. So PMI, you have to they do a tyre inspection, but they don't record it on the sheet. They just record it on the PMI. Then if it's on six weekly inspections, three weeks later, they'll have to fill out one of these, right? So it looks a bit of a ball ache, but basically on that, they're recording every single tyre. They're recording the brand, the model, the size. Is it regrooved? The tread depth, tyre pressure, load rating, which is... A lot of people don't even think of the load rating on a tyre, especially anybody running on twin wheels on a low order. The amount of people that have got PG9s because they've got the wrong load rating on that tyre, never even bothered to check it. You know what I mean? You've had a puncher at roadside, rung the tyre firm up, or it's 275, 75, 17 and a half, whatever. Tyre guy rocks up, slaps the tyre on, drivers, away you go. You know what I mean? Load rating's totally wrong. Serial number, another one. A lot of the time you can't get the serial number because it has scrubbed off because anybody that's looked at the serial number, very small letters and only fine rubber. Uh, Date code, tyre replacement. So if it's actually had a tyre replaced at any point in that three weeks, have you got a record of that? So do you hold a tyre register? So each time a tyre is changed, what do you do? You know what I mean? So that sheet there, you can actually record that. So if you were in week six on this tyre inspection, you can record in there week five, it had a tyre replacement. And then torque check at the bottom of the sheet. So even though they're doing the tyre inspection, at that three-week interval, they'll do a torque check. So they'll basically go around. But they're doing that for every single wheel on that vehicle, which I know... Most of my operators, they actually have somebody within the company that does that for them. 
is one of my maintenance providers, or two of the maintenance providers actually said, where to go when they said, I said, can you do tire inspection? And they said, no, because it isn't, it isn't something you can do in an hour. You know what I mean? No. You've got an Arctic, six axles. How are you gonna, rec- how are you gonna do that in an hour where you're in, are you? You know what I mean? You're probably looking at a good two hours, two and a half hours to actually go around every tire, inspecting it all, right round, getting in the truck, moving the truck forward a couple of meters, then looking at the, the rest of the tire. It, t- it does take a while. And a lot of people look at this and think, Jesus Christ, why are you doing that? But can you afford not to do it? You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. It's funny, I've just, just had a Continental trailer drive past going, uh, whatever the weather have the perfect tyre or something like that so there we go Con- Conti's advertising mate I'll tell you what that's two hours two hours of genuine good quality transport manager support and advice for people um, I think I, th- I think we've covered a fair bit there mate we have covered a fair bit we've not covered exactly everything that was in there but we've covered a fair chunk I was going to say people that's that's the document and we've not covered Probably we've covered about half of what was in there. We've covered yeah. the main key points, but there's some, uh, there's definitely some bits uh, that we've had to miss. But um, do you know what, mate? It's been an absolute pleasure having having you on and listening, mate. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you've got yeah, some value. You. Get in touch with Richie. Uh, the Qualified Transport Manager Group on Facebook um, is, is there. Um, uh, Richie's also on the Fleet Geeks community, so have a look at that one too. Um, but yeah good to speak to you and uh thank you people for listening hope you've enjoyed it thank you richard all right thank you Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. i really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people if you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon